Ladies and gents, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments, your twice-weekly appraisal of all things politics and dystopia and news and awfulness. Uh, it's a show where we take a beer and indeed take a seat. We sit down and we uh, we try to put the world to rights over its many, many wrongs. Let's get into this, shall we? It's been a full-on week. Let's try and wind down with a wine, a strawberry daiquiri, or indeed if you are a man or woman after my own heart, some sort of uh, slightly fruity craft ale or IPA might be in order. Um, in fact, what have I got tonight? I've got Highlights Organic Light Ale. This is not an ad. <laughs> just, just being frank with you. I offer full transparency. And that is what I'm on this evening. There we go. Live TV, guys. Um, cheers. Um, so what should we talk about this evening? What's going on out there in the intellectual wasteland that is Westminster? I've just realised I can't... Um, I haven't got my camera on tonight, have I? Let me just see if I can get some artwork showing for you at least. That's a little bit better. Um... There we go. That's a bit better. So what's going on out there in, in Westminster land? Um, I think uh, Rishi Sunak is obviously looking to move the news cycle on as quickly as possible from the concrete gate, crumbling schools debacle. Who could blame him? It's all, uh, it's all a bit of a mess, isn't it, that they've made of the British education system? They've, uh, they've made a bit of a boo-boo there. Must try harder, Rishi. <laughs> um, it's funny, like, I can never work out if their neglect of schools, state schools, comprehensive, you know, local authority, primaries, whatever. I can never work out if the neglect of those schools is born from their privilege bubble, you know, like where they were all privately educated in very well-funded establishments and institutions. So, like, perhaps to some extent, understanding the deprivation, the neglect is kind of out of their reach, is out of their periphery. You know, like, they, they couldn't believe that a school could be this bad because they've never, never encountered it, you know? Is it that? Is it the, the privilege bubble thing? Or is it, you know, proper ugly classism? Where they know that they're bad, but they just don't care. <laughs> you know? They just don't give a shit. Just empathy vacuum, start to finish. To some extent, because of the institutions they, they were raised in. The fact their parents just shut them away in a boarding school. So they never really developed empathy. They never knew what it was like to be loved and cared for. And now the whole thing's become this sort of trauma cycle. To some extent, it could be that. But yeah, which is it, you know? Is it the fact that they live in this sort of bubble, this privilege bubble? Or is it that they're kind of empathy vacuums and classist? Like they actually like the fact that poor people have it worse. <laughs> poor people have it worse than their kids do, you know? Like your kid's school is shitter than their kid's school. And that makes them feel better and big. You know, like that sort of thing, that kind of dynamic. Like, which which one do you think it is, dear listeners? Which comes into play 
when they cancel the school rebuild budget and condemn your kids to being mere self-burying pleblets. You know, is it the privilegy ignorance or hateful classism? You, you take your pick. Decide amongst yourselves. Like with the privilege bubble side of things, it's like they just don't believe that it's actually as bad as it is. You know, they can't conceive of a school with some ceilings and walls literally collapsing in on themselves through lack of funding and care and so on. And so then that sort of, you know, it manifests as that, um, you know, oh, that God awful breed of scoffing, you know, that sort of Brexity top hatted Tory thing where they just go, oh, oh, you're being ridiculous. Oh, come on. You're being hysterical now. That sort of thing. Like you try and warn them that people are in poverty, for example, and they need some help. And their response is like, oh, come on, don't be so melodramatic. Nobody in my golf club said anything about being hungry, you know? It's that sort of echo chambery privilege bubble kind of mentality that allows them to look the other way. When even their own civil servants are like, yeah, we need to um we need to repair and replace 400 schools every year or we're going to kill some kids that is the reality of the situation and still even then they're like but every single time i've ever set foot in a school they've always been lovely <laughs> and we're like really like which which schools specifically have you been to oh you know the, 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 the one down the road the one uh, what's it called again the um the royal surrey co-ed independent yeah oh, that's the one that's the one bloody love it it's lovely in there top facilities well-maintained buildings it's like oh well, okay then okay i guess i guess nobody else could possibly have a point because the only schools you've ever walked into are ones with computer suites named after your fellow tory mps and shit and then with the hateful classism you know because with the privilege bubble thing it's kind of half forgivable isn't it? There's, there's an element of forgiveness that can be afforded to people like that. It's like you can only respond and react and behave in a way that is rooted in the experiences that you've lived, right? So if you've never seen a crumbling school, to some extent, we can... You could probably educate them out of that, you know? But with the hateful classism, that's just fucking in there, isn't it? I feel like that's the other half of them as well. Like, it's roughly 50-50, do you reckon? This sort of subset of conservatives who just... They just like the idea of being a little bit better than the plebs. You know, like... It's what you deserve, you filthy pleb. You, you chimney-climbing puffer. Like, they're so devoid of self and achievement. You know, like they got their whole lives handed to them. <laughs> so they just don't have that part of them. They never develop that part inside, in their psyche, in their psychology. They just don't have that sense of self. Like, they're not good at anything. <laughs> because they've never had to be. All they know, all life is for them. All they've ever known is that they went to a posh school themselves. Their friends were all posh. And everyone got a nice life out of it. 
That's it. You know, Barnaby got a nice job at uh, Merrill Lynch through Tarquin's daddy. And uh, Tilly married Hugo. And, you know, Tilly's Tilly's daddy wanted her to be taken care of. So he gave Hugo and his best friend Oscar jobs at the Telegraph. And, you know, but there's nothing to any of it. There's no skill. It's just, you know, nepotism and networking. There's no thing that they've worked on. They just got given a house and a job and a life. And so then when they want to feel good about themselves, you know, they don't have that self. They don't have that achievement. So in lieu of that, <laughs> it's easier for them to just go, yeah, I've, I've got all of this shit and you're starving because I'm just better than you. You know, it's just an easy story. I mean, they won't say that. Obviously, they don't say I've got all of this because I bet. But they will legislate it. So, you know. And so then that's how we end up with what? Like fucking, you know, tax setups that give these million dollar schools a charity status. You know, even though they're running huge profits, it's like, oh, no, no, you, you're totally a charity. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, don't worry about the taxes. Oh, it's fine. You guys are good eggs. You're taking care of my nephew. Aren't you? Oh, well, they, yeah, absolutely. That's why they, you know, they slash funds for this lot over here, you know, a hospital, a school, a care home, while funneling money that should have gone to that, funneling that money out to their rich mates, you know? That's why we have these things, these setups. It's like, shouldn't, shouldn't the general public's tax money be going towards the general public schools? No, 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 no. You would think that. I understand why you would think that. It, it's quite confusing. But, but, but basically, it works like this. That money is better off in my mate's pockets. It, it just, I mean, you've, you've listened to Ben Bradley, haven't you? They, they only spend it on crack or brothels or something. So, yeah. One of the things I talked about this morning on TikTok, uh, I don't know if you follow me on there, if you even have TikTok, maybe some of you, you know, as soon as I say TikTok, maybe you're like, ooh, you're a bit, bit old for that, old son. But it's good. It's like this great political commentary happening on TikTok. And um, one of the things I, I was talking on there about this morning was um, the connection between the three big stories of the past couple of weeks. I feel like it's not really... Nobody's really joined the dots on these three yet, apart from me. And that's why you're here listening to this and not the news agents. Um. <laughs> but there's these, these three big news stories, right? The last fortnight or so. So this was the, the Letby murders. You know, the sociopathic nurse. And the babies that she killed. Horrific. Awful story. And then there's the schools thing, you know, which is that they are run down. Ceilings are crumbling, walls collapsing. OK, so just bear those two in mind for a second. Let be murders, you know, the nurse in the NHS and the schools are crumbling. And then just this week, we've got a prisoner who's escaped from jail. Clung onto the bottom of that prison van and he just got chauffeured right out of there. And I was saying this morning, as indeed I will now say to you, podcast listeners, that in each of these stories, they're awful enough, right? But actually, when you group them together and kind of like pan out a bit, you start to see a common thread there, you know, which is one of public services 
neglect and underfunding, right? And then you start to realise that this is actually quite choppy water for the Conservatives. I mean, I don't know they're already behind in the polls and everything, but this is potentially dangerous now. Because until now, right, they've been able to, with, with the help of their right-wing rags, obviously, they've been able to blame this scapegoat over here or that group of people for this thing and that thing. You know, it's not underfunding. It's the NHS's 10 missed chances to catch let be. It's that sort of stuff, right? You take the actual issue, which is underfunding, and actually you just like kick that straight out the door and instead you focus on, you know, blaming the, the publicly funded institution. And to some extent you can get away with that when these are ad hoc stories in isolation, you know. But when you get this, this cavalcade of kind of ish, similar kind of tales all coming through at once, you know, one after the other, bam, bam, bam. It's like, oh, well, now, to what extent can we blame overworked, stretched, thin doctors and NHS managers for missing Letby? You know, is it that they missed her? That they were performing badly? Or is this another tale of underfunding and public services neglect falling to pieces? You know, equally... To what extent can we blame local authorities for overspend when you're reducing the cash that they need? Like, they need that money for schools, for facilities, for care homes or, or whatever. Like, can you still blame them when they fall into the red or when the schools fall to pieces when the common thread here is neglect at the government level? Do you know what I mean? Like, once is unlucky with the NHS, with the, the nurse or whatever. But twice in, in, like, two weeks. Well, now this is starting to become a pattern. This is a narrative. The NHS neglected. The schools neglected. And then this week, can you still believe a tabloid article that blames a, you know, a lazy prison warden or, you know, laissez-faire jail staff or a lack of CCTV or, you know, when all of that too now feeds up into this same neglectful slash happy government. You know, it's like once unlucky, twice a pattern is now emerging, three times like in two weeks, like now we're into a common thread. Guys, now we're into this, you know, uh, this is a characteristic of this government kind of territory. Like all it would take now is a snappy slogan, wouldn't it? To really nail this to them. To smash this home. The right messaging. You know, that's all it would take. This idea that it's very much the shit governance of, you know, 13 years of conservatives that are to blame here for most, if not all of them. <laughs> You know, what could that slogan be that would really ram that home, do you think? How do you ram that message home in a way that would land with your mate Dave down the pub? You know? I don't know. Maybe I should run a competition. Like, how do you tie the myriad of public service failures and the classism and the entitlement and the corruption all together 
into one anti-Tory slogan that's catchy and kind of a bit funny. Like, can you do that? Answers on a postcard, guys. Assuming, of course, you know, Royal Mail <laughs> doesn't doesn't become the next one to get engulfed in a page one horror story. Like, you know, overworked sorting office staff missed nail bomb package or some shit. How did they miss it? Well, you you worked them to the bone to the point their cognitive ability was in bed. How how did they miss it? Are they stupid? Like, I always love the faux incredulity of it. Whatever that word is, I can never fucking say it. The faux in- incredulity. There we go. I, I fucking nailed it now. Like, are they stupid? How did they miss it? Are they stupid? Like, yeah, that's it. That's that's all it is. How's that for a simple story? It's just that they're stupid. Like, I always think it's funny how people in all of these different industries that they harp on about, you know, the NHS, the BBC, Royal Mail, uh, you know, you, you, you fill in the blanks. Whatever the half publicly funded think Channel 4, you know. All of these people in these industries just started to become stupid or incompetent or whatever around 2010, didn't they? It's just a weird, crazy year, I guess. When everything started getting stupider. In fact, wasn't that... Was it 2010 when also young people magically started blowing all of their money on avocados too. That was, that was strange, wasn't it? I'm sure that's when that started. What, what a weird year. But yeah, ev- everyone's just stupid. That's, you know, it's the intellectual line of the conservatives, of the right when it comes to this. How did they miss her? Like, slash the NHS. <laughs> To the point that nobody's got time to keep an eye on anything, let alone a sociopathic nurse. And then she goes on to kill like multiple times. They're like, how? How did you miss it? Are you thick or something? What is wrong with you? How did you miss her? But like, it's like they're screaming at a deadhead nurse, you know, (laughs) who literally worked herself to death doing 127 sequential 20 hour shifts. You know, just shaking her. Weren't you paying attention? What's wrong with you? Answer me. I scream at the dead head nurse. <laughs> so anyway, what else is in the news? I'm, I'm just to close off that section. I like. I just. I think there's a there's a missed opportunity here for Labour or for the Lib Dems or somebody to just tie all of this shit together, wrap it up with a lovely little bow and smash that shit home. You know, this isn't NHS incompetence. This isn't local authorities being shit with money. This, if you just pan up and just go up one level, can you go up one level for us, please? This once? Anyway. The other big story at the moment, of course, is that our esteemed, highly regarded, super successful, much loved across the land, uh, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is off to the G20. Prepare yourselves for uh, for lots of talk of um, uh, Britain is open for business. All of that stuff. They love rolling that stuff out whenever there's like a G20 or G8 or whatever. The, bri- the British Prime Minister will today pledge to firepower the British economy. Like, look out for that one, too. 
or like rocket fuel the economy it's always stuff like that i mean do you think do you think they have any concept of how ridiculous they sound <laughs> when, they're, when they're jetting off to india for the g20 talking about britain being open for business <laughs> against against the backdrop of a country falling to fucking pieces because i, I don't think they have any understanding of that at all I really don't. Brit Britain is open for business. How about the schools, mate? Are the schools open? Are they <laughs> shut, shut your fucking mouth about the schools. Like, we're just... We're such a fucking joke on the world stage right now. Honestly, we are. I'm sorry if you're a patriot and you're listening to this and it's angering you and you've got a little vein bulging out the side of your neck. I apologise. Ish. But we are. We're like, just... It, Let's just be real, shall we? There's enough fake news out there. Let's just have this one podcast be 100% honest. We're just, we're a strutting peacock. You know, we're the United Kingdom. We fly off to India. We're going to talk up our economy and trade deals and shit like we aren't teetering on the edge of some fucked up sovereign debt crisis. You know, Britain is open for business. No, no, we're not. No, we're very much circling the drain over here mate uh, like any ideas on how we how we solve the national debt i'll get back to you on that anyway as i was saying trade deals anyone anyone like i was talking to my mate um i went up to london on uh on wednesday this week and uh by chance purely by chance i was like walking up more gates and i bumped into a friend of mine and he's actually guested on the show like super super early days he was one of my first like four or five guests i think and his name's tom what's up tom if you're listening um and we were only talking about 10 minutes in the street i, I bumped into him outside a nero or some sort of coffee shop up that way and um and we're both pretty political like i'm i'm a lefty you know or at least you know center left uh he's kind of center right um but we, we were talking about bits and bobs and politics and his employment situation and this and that and um and i sort of explained to him because he said i've seen your videos aid you know and it, you, you seem like an intelligent guy and you've got this and you get that and then you just you just make this leap where you just you're not quite there you seem to think that the problems that we're facing will all go away if we rejoin the single market and i'm like don't you think we would get growth if we rejoined the single market and he's like no and I'm like, really? Because in my mind, up until now, I've been sort of of the belief that if we rejoined, if we jumped aboard the single market, it would spike value in the pound again and we would somehow achieve growth. And he was like, look at Germany, man. And I was like, what's going on in Germany? He's like, you know, recessions, minimal growth. He's like, France, look at that. He was like, look at Canada. He was like, all of the problems that you hate about modern Britain are happening fucking everywhere and i'm like okay all right it really like shook me for a minute we were talking about like inflation in canada we talk about house prices in you know australia actually i don't think we, i think that was a bit later i was talking to somebody else about that but but it really kind of you know not blew my mind but it, it definitely made me a little bit more worldly about the problems that we're facing. And anyway, I, I sort of, as I was standing there with my coffee and I was chatting to him, I, I kind of explained to him the same thing that I 
attempted to explain to Rufus Hound last week just to see if he kind of agreed with me broadly where I was coming from. I was like, this is how I see it, Tom. And Tom is a, you know, battle-worn financier, hedge fund guy. He knows the economy. He knows finance. So I was keen to get his feelings about this. So I was like, look, Tom, this is how I see it. I was like, look, we are seriously in the red as a country. We have this colossal debt where we've borrowed money off, you know, but like the bonds market, the gilts market, and so on. We've borrowed all this money. Now we have to pay interest on those bonds, right? So we have this colossal fucking debt. And everyone moans about taxes being too high, Tom. But the reason they're so high is because most of it goes on servicing this debt. Like, we're not even paying down the debt. We're just paying the fucking interest payments. That's it, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm like, so to my mind, there's three things you could do. You can either raise taxes more, which you can't really do. And he's like, no, we've already got high fucking taxes. I said, you could get growth to pay for it. But you reckon we wouldn't get that from the single market? He's like, no, yeah, there's no magic wand you can wave that's going to achieve that. And I'm like, or you could borrow more could get more money in that way. But then that just perpetuates the problem. You know, you've borrowed more money. Now you're going to be paying more interest. That means more tax hikes. So I said, oh, you could magic money, you know, quantitative, you know what I mean? Quantitative easing is, can never say. I should make a list of words that I can't fucking say and then just put them up on a board here and be like, don't, here's like, don't even try it, Aid. Um, But I said, you could magic the money, but then you risk destabilizing the currency more and so then more people would take their investments out of britain because they would be like well this doesn't seem like a stable democratic economy you know if they're just magicking money every other month to run their schools these ongoing costs i was like so you can't do qe like indefinitely he's like yep okay all correct so far aid i'm like so so meanwhile while we're sort of you know juggling these balls of what we could or could not do and basically we can't do any of those things i'm like so meanwhile this problem just gets worse and there's less money every year right and so services crumble and people get poorer and more desperate and he's like yep bang on (laughs) and i'm like until to my mind tom the natural end game of this has got to be that we will default on the sovereign debt and he's like bingo aid (laughs) and i'm like bingo like isn't bingo where you win (laughs) this doesn't feel like a win tom this feels like the collapse of western liberal democracy like people will fucking murder each other for a loaf of bread and he's like well here's what's gonna happen like at that point you'll get the government stepping in won't matter if it's conservatives or labor or whatever the government will step in and they will say oh hey this was the old way of doing money and it was really bad and brittle and, um, yeah, it wasn't backed by anything. Um, and, and it was dreamt up before we had X, Y and Z and computers and all this. other. Anyway, anyway, here's this new kind of currency and it's called fucking Britcoin or some shit, you know? And I think it, it sort of really, I don't know, it landed in my head. It did something to me because he and I disagree on quite a bit. As you could imagine, he, he I still think Brexit was a mistake. He was in favor of it. I think Trump is a dangerous fucking lunatic. He thinks. Or at least at one point when I was talking to him, he seemed to think that 2020 was rigged, which was like, you really think 
that many like what kind of a conspiracy would that have to be for all of the vote count machines all of the representatives in different states right up to the top of dc for everyone to be in on it <laughs> you you honestly think that's what it yeah yeah i think that's i think the election was stolen aid right okay so we don't agree on everything we get off at the bus at different stops when it comes to much of modern politics and i think he thinks this crypto Bitcoin meltdown is coming. As do I. I think something big is going to happen. But I think he thinks it's some like nefarious great reset <laughs> kind of like hijinks, you know, something like that. Whereas I just think it will be, you know, like the whole thing will implode like a house of cards. But then you get the Bank of England you know, quietly beavering away in the back. They'll be like, well, look, obviously when it happens, it's going to be really bad. How do we get out of that mess? Mess like in as modern and efficient way as possible using modern tooling. Like people are already using crypto. So maybe we should just use, do you know what I mean? Like it would be, um, he, he sees it as a conspiracy theory. I would see it as sort of tech and pragmatism, you know? Anyway, I don't want to get, all, you know, tin hat about it. Um, but is there actually any way that we're not heading for a gigantic implosion of the global markets? And if that does happen, would you put it past the government to default on the interest shit and then market something new to the masses as though, you know, it's something urgent. It's something very necessary. We need a whole new paradigm, guys. And here it is. It's called Bitcoin. Maybe I sound a bit tinfoil out there. I don't know. Like, I, I'm not sure like how it's going to manifest. But it would not surprise me at all if that's kind of where we're approaching in the next two to five years, man. What, what else is happening? Let's talk about something else before I go way down a rabbit hole and radicalize myself. Uh, Elon Musk has admitted holding back on offering Starlink to Ukrainian forces last year. Don't know if you've seen this. This just broke earlier on today. He held back on offering Starlink, which is his sort of, you know, universal Internet. Like you can get it anywhere in the world is the idea of it. But in doing so, in withholding Starlink from Ukrainian forces, that meant that their submarine drones lost contact. And once that threat was removed, some Russian warships were able to proceed and fire missiles at Ukrainian cities. So that is... That is another quote-unquote interesting moment for Musk. Um, I mean, that is a that is a terrible geopolitical position to take for Elon Musk. Like he says, of course, right? This is his because these are sort of like rumors and something that's coming up in a biography that's been revealed, and he's addressed it apparently last night on Twitter. Uh, he says. He didn't deactivate anything. He just didn't act. He just didn't give it to them. You know, he didn't activate it further. Sort of thing. And the reason that he didn't, he says, uh, was because he didn't want to escalate the conflict. You know, like expanding the coverage and giving it to these specific Ukrainian forces would have been a sort of tacit act of war, in his opinion. He didn't want to get drawn in either side you know he didn't want to ever be seen as the sort of person or company that was escalating or widening the conflict 
because he doesn't like conflict. You see, I don't know if you've if you've noticed that about him. He likes to de-escalate <laughs> wherever possible. He's a calming influence, isn't he? He really he's a calming influence, guys, on geopolitics and indeed everything else. In case you hadn't noticed, like at the time he called up Putin for a chat without telling the Pentagon first, or, or the time the time those Thai kids were stuck down a cave and he called the rescue guy a paedophile, or or do you remember when he platformed the Republican transphobe? You see calming he's a calming influence guy doesn't like conflict doesn't want to see things escalate does he like i mean it doesn't even make fucking sense does it like like holding back on helping ukraine because you don't want to see things escalate right but then that is de facto empowering russia <laughs> To just crack on and sail in there and kill and escalate. You know, like I, I imagine a Ukrainian family, you know, pulling their kids out of the rubble. You know, like, oh, well, thank thank God things didn't escalate here, Elon, you fucking idiot. <laughs> it's like, and then, and then imagine how bummed out you'd be, right? Imagine if you were a Ukrainian family and you had escaped all that. Imagine you had escaped the city that then got missiled by the Elon Musk Russian warships or whatever. You escaped it. You heard about it on the phone. The Elon stuff, the missiles, your friends' families pulled from the rubble. And you escaped it to get one of the UK's few and precious official refugee status entries. And you got in, and you got housed in Gravesend, Kent. And you got your kid into the local school. Where the whole classroom fucking collapses. And then you have to pull your kid out of the rubble anyway. You know, like, you could play a game, couldn't you? You could play a game with British infrastructure. You know, like, we'd, like we'd hold up two cards. There'd be two Pol Polaroid photographs. One on each card. And they're both pictures of imploded buildings. And the game is this. It's just Warzone or British school. <laughs> and if you guess it right... You get 10 Britcoins and a subscription to Starlink. Guys, that's it. That's all I got time for. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm really enjoying doing these solo episodes for you. If you're enjoying them also, don't be a stranger. Do jump onto patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson uh, with an I-N at the end. You get episodes of the podcast two days before everybody else. You get access to the Discord chat. I'm in there most days where we uh, we share memes. We talk shit. Uh, mostly about Tories. Um, I give my Patreons first dibs on the live shows that I've got coming up. Got one on the 28th of September. That's only a couple of weeks away. It's at the book club in Shoreditch. Uh, it's me, Otto English, Ashley Hayden, John Left at the Countryside. Uh, it's my first like live podcasty event thing since I started doing this. So I'm super psyched about it. And I would be like, I'd be super thrilled if it was sort of packed out um you know friendly faces in the crowd um yeah so if you want to buy a ticket for that go to either you can there's two places you can get the tickets you can go to funk-27.co.uk forward slash shows there's a link in the description to this uh, or you can google dice d-i-c-e um and then just put my name in aid thompson um and then september 
I'm like, you'll, you'll find me. It's fine. But there's a link in the description. Maybe that's the e easier one. Um, so that's coming up in September. Then I've got the Riot Society. That's the one that I do with Danny fucking Price and Super Tansky. Uh, this one on the 10th of November, we've got Marina Perkis. We've got Dane Baptiste. It's going to be a laugh, man. So grab yourself a ticket to that. Also, um, before I go, big shouts to my uh, to my Patreon backers, uh, to Martin, Simon, Ned, Chris, Malcolm, Aaron, Peter Del Monte, uh, Rodri, Fat Shirley, Mojo Sabian, Bowman, Jeff, Ailsa, Kai, Stuart, Pingu, David V, uh, Alex Suter, Christy, Silent, T-Rex, Sarah and Kerry. Thank you so, so much, guys. Um, that's it for now. I'll be back next week. Uh, I've got a couple more guest shows coming up soon, which I'm very psyched about. Um, until next time, keep it strictly hashtag Binfluencer. And obviously stay booge. I'm out this motherfucker. <laughs>